You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. I'm Kenny Ortiz. This is Theology for the Rest of Us coming at you from the great city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you so much for taking time out to listen to this episode of the podcast. And I know I say it a lot. I feel feel like a broken record, but I just want you to know I really mean it wholeheartedly. Thank you so much for downloading. Thank you for uh, the incredible kind emails and tweets I get regularly. Thank you guys for allowing me and the interview guests that I bring on to have a voice in your life. Uh, It is just an incredible privilege. I'm humbled by it. So thank you to all of you. Uh, This is episode 263, and I'm continuing in a series that I've been doing for the last several months, uh, attacking topics uh, related to creation, evolution, origins of the earth, things of that nature. We've done topics on dinosaurs and dragons and Adam and Eve and all sorts of related things. I'm going to be bringing this series to a close. I've just got a few interviews that I've done with some uh, different authors and podcasters and speakers uh, that I want to bring you that I think will be really, really valuable. And then we eventually move on to uh, a different set of topics. I know many of you have sent me emails about questions you want me to address. Those are all in my inbox. I promise I will get to them uh, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, in this episode, I'm going to be bringing you an interview uh, with Steve Schram. He is a uh, blogger, podcaster, minister, speaker, and he's got some really, really great resources at his website that you'll hear about. Um, and he holds to a position that is uh, different than my own, uh, but it is a position that is very prevalent and prominent throughout evangelicalism. He holds through to the young earth creation uh, perspective which I definitely at one point held to and was a fierce proponent of uh, at, at in the past. And I now kind of hold a relatively agnostic attitude when it comes to age of the earth. But Steve's got some great resources um, and thoughts and insights on defending the young earth position. And so definitely excited to have him on the show. Before I get to the interview, quick reminder to those of you who are regular listeners of the podcast, uh, if you have not had a chance to do so, please do me a huge favor. Head on over to whatever podcast app or directory that you use to listen to podcasts and leave a rating or review, especially if you are an Apple uh, iTunes podcast app user. Do me a huge favor, please head on over, leave a five-star rating, a great review, tell the world you love the podcast. Those are a big, big help to the show. Uh, The more good reviews we have, uh, the further up the search rankings we appear whenever people are looking for topics like theology, God, Jesus, things of that nature. So leave us a great review, great rating, and uh, that'll be a really, really big help to the show. So thank you. All right, let's get to the interview. This is the interview with Steve Schramm. Again, he is a minister, writer, blogger, podcaster. This guy has a ministry in his own right. He's got some really great stuff. He's a really, really sharp dude. I really appreciated having conversation with him. We actually got a chance to have some extensive conversation before and after uh, the actual interview. Uh, It was really, really helpful. Uh, He was recommended to me by Tyler Vela. I feel like this is a little bit of a pattern now. So Tyler, shout out to you. 
Uh, Steve is a uh, really, really sharp dude. I really, really appreciated him. I, I pushed back quite a bit. Um, I, I tried to be respectful as possible, but I definitely pushed back on him. Anytime he shared some thoughts, I didn't let him, uh, you know, kind of say things without kind of forcing him to defend things. And he did a great job defending them. He gave some good thoughts, um, and, and, and defended why he holds to the position he holds to. So, uh, I, although I disagree with Steve's ultimate conclusion, I highly recommend um, his his podcast and his work because uh, I trust that he is a, a good thinker and is not going to just haphazardly uh, throw an opinion together, but he's going to really defend his opinion uh, thoroughly from the scriptures. So uh, one quick apology to those of you listening. I feel like I've had to do this multiple times now uh, over the last few episodes. Um, my audio quality was not great. In fact, during the interview, uh, I'm, my audio software failed and my and, and my mic wasn't working quite right. And so thankfully, Steve was actually recording the interview on his computer on his end as well. Usually podcast podcast guests don't do that, but he was recording on his end as well. So he was able to shoot me the the audio file um, and in its entirety. And so I didn't have to do uh, do much editing or splicing to it at all. Um, so you'll hear that Steve on his end, he sounds crystal clear uh, on my end. Uh, the microphone sounds really muffled, um, because the recording is from his computer, not mine. Uh, so I apologize for that, but Steve does do the, the, the bulk of the, uh, of, of the talking. So it's good that on his end, it sounds crystal clear. And on my end, it was a little muffled. So, um, at least, you know, the guy who's doing the bulk of the talking, his sounds good. So without further ado, my interview with Mr. Steve Schramm. And we are on the line with Mr. Steve Schramm from the great state of North Carolina, the the Tar Heel State. Isn't that what they call it these days, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Steve, thanks for joining the show, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Kenny. It is uh, more than a pleasure to be here with you. Really, really excited. Um, and so you have interacted um, with uh, you know on- online with uh, with a guy we've had on the podcast before, uh, Tyler Vela. Uh, the audience w- would be familiar with him, and so anyone who's followed the podcast is familiar with Tyler's work. And so you and Tyler have had some uh, some back and forth in yeah. a, in a Christ honoring way, not you know not throwing jabs at each other. Sure. Um, yeah. So I, I learned about you from Tyler, and and you hold two positions that um, are are different than my own. Although mostly on these topics, I I think I'm relatively agnostic. I and I mean that in that I don't care as much as I think as other people do. If I'm honest. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's fair. And, and I think there are viable reasons to believe a variety of different interpretations. You know, I, you know, I, I, I understand why people hold to views maybe different than what I hold to. Um, yeah. And so I, and so I, so I, I think it's valuable. I want my audience to hear from people who are different than my perspective. So that's why I'm really, really thankful and hoping that, um, you know, I know you're going to be able to share that. So, uh, before we dive into any content, give the audience kind of a, just a framework and an understanding of who you are, what you do and, and how you ended up to doing what you do today and why you do what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Well, you know, maybe the first thing I want to say is that uh, uh, I'm grateful for Tyler's recommendation uh, because he and I have gone uh, back and forth. Uh, I've told him and a few other people now that uh, I don't think I've personally met anybody who is as different on so many theological things uh, than than me and Tyler are. Uh, and yet, uh, I really have loved every minute in conversation with him. So, so I appreciate 
appreciate uh, his his willingness to uh, to recommend me. Uh, well, I'll tell you the short version uh, about me is uh, there's nothing really dramatic about my story. Uh, I've been a, a Christian. I'm, I'm 28 years old now, so I've been a Christian since I was four years old, um, and I was raised in uh, a Baptist church, uh, a Christian school. Man, I've been there my uh, my entire life. Never had any reason to doubt. Uh, I believed, uh, and this is kind of where the conversation's going. But uh, I've. Uh, been taught and believed ever since I was young that the earth uh, is about you know six thousand years old or so somewhere along those lines um, and uh, I was taught from an early age that uh, evolution didn't have the goods uh, was taught that they were wrong about the age of the earth and all, all of these things um, that I was taught growing up and uh, I just never really had a reason to question any of those things and so one day, I think it's 2014 or 2015, uh, I was working at the same place I do now. I work at a law firm here in North Carolina, and now I do their uh, their IT work and some of their marketing and, and website work, but back then, I was their runner, uh, which meant I would run documents back and forth to the courthouse and you know different places, uh, and so it was my job to drop those things off, and every now and then, I, for whatever reason, would have time to kill, and so I sit there in the car, and I just remember this one afternoon uh, thinking, what uh, what am I going to do if it turns out that uh, this Jesus guy never existed? Most random thought, I mean, I used to ride around, I mean, I'm, I'm a preacher, I was called to preach um, uh, before that time, uh, and so I, I just would ride around listening to sermons and preachers and uh, getting as much as I could and just had this random thought one day, what if Jesus isn't real. Uh, and soon after that, I found a book in Goodwill. I love going shopping at my local Goodwill. You'd be surprised how much theology you can find in there. <laughs> I, I, brother, I've got several books from good good theology books from Goodwill, so good stuff. Yeah, I've got some good ones, and uh, I've got some that turned out to be pretty bad after <laughs> looking into them deeper. But, uh, but surprisingly, though, I found The Case for Faith um, by Dr. Lee Strobel. And before you knew it, uh, I was seeing names flashing across my eyes, like Robbie Zacharias and William Lane Craig and Lee Strobel, of course, and uh, and my world quite literally got flipped upside down. And since that moment, I have been steeped in this thing of apologetics. Uh, I've been back and forth. Of course, when you start learning about this thing, you begin to so quickly get exposed to views that are different than what you've learned, and you find out that these people still claim to be Christians. Uh, and you're like, well, uh, okay, I didn't know you could be a Christian and think that a Big Bang happened. I didn't know you could be a Christian and think that uh, uh, that the Earth and the universe were possibly millions or even uh, billions of years old. I didn't know you could think that there was a flood that might not have been global. I, I just didn't know those things. And so I actually went back and forth. I, uh, I, I read widely different different teachers, and uh, for a while there, I was kind of like you. I was kind of agnostic on it, and then I kind of was like, well, I don't know. I've always been taught this, and there might be pretty good reasons to, to think it's true. And so the long story short is, after much uh, study and deliberation, I eventually settled kind of into the position that I'm in now, and uh, I'm always willing to learn more and do more, uh, and I'm willing to change on things that uh, that I find n- better reasons to you know uh, to believe a new view. Uh, I'm willing to change. I'm I'm not so you know set in my ways that I'm I can't be humble enough to say that I might be wrong, uh, but I don't think I am. So that's kind of where I stand. 
Yeah, you know, something you just said I think is really valuable. I, I heard Rick Warren, he's the well-known pastor out of California mm-hmm. um, and author. He, he once said, it's, it's not arrogant to believe that you're right. It's just arrogant to never consider that you might be wrong. Yeah, I, and, lo- I like that. And just the idea of, like, you know, it's okay to be confident. I, I think I'm right in a lot of my opinions, but I, I at least want to be open to consider maybe I'm wrong, and I'm willing to have the dialogue, to have the discussion. Yeah, that's that's um, that's good. And I think uh, you're right. I think so many people miss that, and it's kind of like an all-or-nothing kind of thing. And that leads to some really unproductive conversations, uh, and it leads to also kind of being in a vacuum, in an echo chamber. You're never going to learn anything new if you're not open to those new things. At the same time, I think, that there's room to stand firm on your convictions. And if, if somebody argues against a view, and me and Tyler have, have been over this, um, and I've told Tyler many times, listen, brother, you're, you're thinking that, that this argument doesn't work does not mean that it doesn't work. It just means that I think I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, so th- there will be times where we have to stand up for what we think is the right way of looking at things, uh, but we can do it with an attitude of humility. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's good. And so, um, well, let's 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 dive in and get some get some stuff on the table. And I'd love to hear you tell us. What, you know, I'm going to ask you. I'll ask you a, a, a few questions. You can answer all of them or some of them, and in whatever format you want. So, okay, you you tell us that the tell us what the how old is the Earth? How old is the universe? And um and and maybe give us the 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 brief reason as to maybe why you believe that. Yeah, okay, sure. So there are a uh, variety of uh, interpretations that even people within the um, younger creation camp uh, hold. And and I'll go ahead and say that I call myself, uh, I refer to myself as a young age creationist. Uh, and I do that for uh, two or possibly even three reasons. Uh, the first reason is because it's the most accurate term that reflects what, what I believe. Uh, there are young earth creationists who actually hold to a old universe and they would use theories of uh, of time dilation which is uh, some things that Einstein introduced um, he would uh, uh uh, Russell Humphreys is is a popular creationist astrophysicist who has come up with this kind of thing, and so they would say that well maybe the universe uh, and the Earth they were all created at the same time, but because of what's called gravitational time dilation, uh, the uh, the further you go out into space, the more time has been experienced, uh, and of course that kind of assumes that the Earth is at the center of things, which might be a reasonable assumption. But anyway, that's not the view that I hold um, necessarily. I'm open to it, but it's not the view that I hold. So, um, so I don't just want to say that I'm a young Earth creationist. I want to say that I'm a young age creationist. I think both the Earth and the universe are um, about six thousand, possibly somewhere around sixty-one hundred years old. That, that that's my view. Um, and uh, the second reason I might call myself a young age creationist is because I think the important thing is, uh, you know, the distant starlight issue comes up a lot. And I think it's important to, to understand what kind of conditions Adam might have been looking at. If Adam is created just six days, uh, on my view, after the, the, the beginning, the initial creation event, then... Um, According to that same narrative, on day four, the stars were visible, which means Adam had to see light from the stars just two days after they were created 
on my view. And so I think in order to do that uh, in any meaningful way, you're going to have to say that both the Earth and the universe are about 6,000 or so years old. So that's what I do. And then the other reason, quite frankly, uh, there are some times that I want to distance myself a little bit from the term young earth creationist. Uh, and I ha- almost hate to say that, but uh, in in some theological circles, that term has become kind of like, uh, you know, pejorative or something. It's, it's kind of like, oh, that guy's the young earther. Uh, so uh, there is a sense in which I, I tend to disassociate myself from that because there are... Um, different organizations and different scientists who would find themselves uh, holding to some different positions. For example, I would say, contrary to many young earth creationists, that there is good evidence for, um, for Darwinian evolution. Uh, there, it, it is not a theory that goes without evidence. There, there is evidence for it. Now, I think it is wrong, um, but my primary reason for denying it is not the science. It's what I believe Scripture teaches. Now, I do think there are some scientific issues with it, um, absolutely, uh, but that's not the primary reason. And so there, there, is, there seems to be this camp within the creationist community that is more concerned with providing good reasons to believe in young age creation rather than always kind of, you know, bashing the other guys kind of thing. And so I, I want to kind of set myself apart. Uh, does that make sense? I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. Um, no, not <laughs> I don't mean not for a, it to. You know, I, I, I totally understand. You know, I, I kind of have done sim- similar things in other areas of theology where I just, you know, the, the group that typically represents that label makes me nervous. So I, so yeah. I, I <laughs> may, maybe, maybe I, 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 I tweak the lingo a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I don't have, you know, we don't have to go into the, the, the specifics of where I do that, but uh, you know, you're you're doing that in this genre, saying, "Hey, because of maybe some of the other people out there, or be, or because of the way it's viewed, I, you want to distance yourself a little bit to just to bring some clarity." Yeah, and you know, the thing is, it's a subtle enough difference that people still know what you mean, but they're like, "Why? Why? Why do you do that?" Because it's it's just different enough. And you know what? I like that. That's on purpose because then I have an opportunity to explain that um, that there's not a certain two or three. Um, uh, people <laughs> who represent the young earth creationist community. It's a much wider and much more vast community than most people realize. And so uh, I think this helps um, people to see that. So that's good. Um, okay. So tell us then, uh, let, let me backtrack for a second. I should have asked you this first, actually, because sure. I, I mentioned that you and Tyler, you guys, you guys have had some, you, you he, you, you produced a response. So he had a, a relatively long blog post on a particular topic, and then you responded with a 6,000-word blog post response of your own. Yeah. So I, I'm just very curious. Tell us what what was the, the topic and maybe a brief overview of what Tyler was saying and why did you disagree or what did you disagree with that, that motivated you to write a response that was so thorough? Yeah, um, th- yeah, that's funny because when he first uh, when he first responded to me, he was like, I, s- I see that you've got the same problem that I do. You don't like to leave any stone uh, unturned, uh, you, you know, t- t- taking everything to task. Um, well, here's here's kind of what I what I noticed. And uh, and Tyler and I actually were supposed to get together and, and maybe do a podcast uh, together at some point, too. So maybe that'll still happen. In, in the future here. It's just uh, my schedule's been a little crazy lately. But um, the, the, big re- the big thing was this. His article was a uh, basically a response to common young earth creationist arguments. And uh, 
there were some things that he wrote that I was like, oh yeah, okay, I, I can I can definitely see this. But in my uh, humble opinion, uh, the way that he articulated some of the arguments was not the way that um, that I have seen a lot of young earth creationists uh, articulate the arguments. That sounds really convoluted, but but I, I in other words, I thought there was a bit more nuance. To, to the majority of his points. And, and I was like, well, this is kind of a straw man because this I'm a young earth creationist and I make an argument that kind of sounds like this, um, but it's not exactly what I believe. And so what I wanted to do, and the reason it was so thorough is because, in and I do a lot better writing than I do speaking as far as my thought process, but uh, I went through and combed through it and tried to dig out all of the little nuance that was in in there uh, and point out, hey, maybe this is, um, maybe you're looking at this a little bit wrong. What if we formulate the argument this way, which is how I've seen most um, young earth creationists look at it. Uh, and I think if we look at it this way, it's right. So it was kind of that sort of thing. The other issue uh, in there was this this whole discussion um, about concordism versus non-concordism. You, you know what I mean by that. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Uh, and, and, yeah. and a quick, quick define just for if anyone I've covered it on the podcast quite a bit. Okay. But if anyone hasn't heard those, um, you want to give us like the 20 second definition of them? Yeah. Basically, concordism uh, is a way of reading the Bible in which the claims can be made to kind of align with a modern scientific understanding. Uh, and non concordism just says that, well, maybe the Bible writers weren't so concerned with that kind of stuff. And so maybe they were writing things that were true about theology and uh, what, what God intended to teach, but we don't necessarily need to press the scripture for scientific accuracy. Is that what you would, you would agree with that? Yeah, and, and I mean, even I mean, yeah, I would agree with everything you just said. The, even the simpler, the concordist view is is assuming that the scripture is actually telling us about scientific right. things. And whether you're young Earth or old Earth, you both are in the same camp. Where the non-concordist is, the the biblical authors are not even concerned with that at all. So they're, they're not teaching science. So should, we shouldn't look for science. Right, exactly. And so the big the big thing with Tyler's article was he, he put a, a spot in there that, that said something, and maybe I misread this, but he put something in there that said to the effect that I will be responding, because, because his view is agnostic, he doesn't really care about the age of the earth, he says, I'm going to be responding to these arguments as they are usually put forth to old earth creationists. And so when I responded to him, I responded in that way. And so a lot of his rejoinders back to me were like, but, but I don't care about the age of the earth. So tell me something that I care about. And, uh, and so my continual, you know, back and forth response to him was that we're talking past each other because I'm not trying to refute non-concordism. Uh, in fact, it wasn't not very long ago that I first met the first non-concordist young age creationist that I had ever run into. Uh, and he's another mutual friend of mine and Tyler's maybe even yours. His name is Mark Lambert. Um, and he's a, he's a young earth creationist, uh, who holds to non-concordism, which is pretty rare. Um, but I said, okay, uh, yeah, I, I didn't yeah. realize that existed. Yes, yes, it does. Uh, he is a person who would affirm, along with Tyler, that the Bible is not intending to necessarily teach scientific truth. Nevertheless, um, he's interested in in creation science, but only because he is convinced that Scripture um, presents this unbroken chain of history from the beginning to the end that can be demonstrated even outside of Genesis one. Um, and so that's his conviction. And so I, when, when I first learned of him and started talking to him. Um, I was like, well, I need to start rethinking things maybe, you know, so uh, I haven't, 
I officially still hold to concordism. I still think concordism is is a viable interpretation. But I've told Tyler that I'm not really interested in refuting non-concordism necessarily uh, because I haven't fully fleshed it out. I mean, it could be that I that I go that way one day. Uh, so um, th- yeah, the biggest thing is not talking past each other. And since then, me and Tyler have, have have sorted things out to where we're we're speaking a little more directly towards one another. But that's really still the main thing between he and I is the is the debate about. About concordism, you know what? What are these guys intending uh, to to teach? Uh, and I do think that there are reasons to believe that the Bible wants to teach accurately about science and the way it relates to history and such like that. But uh, but yeah, that's kind of the the gist of that whole conversation. That, that makes sense. And so what I'll make sure we do, if anyone is interested, I'll I'll make sure that we link up. Uh, you know, Tyler's blog post and your response. We'll, we'll put the links in the show notes for this episode. So if anyone wants to check that out, they can head to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com, and they can see the show notes for that there. Um, and and the, my, my audience knows I'm, I'm a big fan of Tyler and, and love his work. So I think both of those would probably be helpful for people. Absolutely. Um, in addition, I have an episode I did a few episodes back where it was basically, I called it the parable of Steve Jobs. And I made up this kind of silly example, telling the life of Steve Jobs from a concordist perspective and a non-concordist perspective. So anyone listening to this, if you're interested, go check that out as well. Oh, I'm uh, interested. Kind of use, I need to go listen uh, to that. I, I use this silly parable to kind of illustrate the differences between the two. That's good. Um, um, all right. And so let, let's move on then. Continue. Um, you, uh, you, you have, you also have a podcast. Um, tell, tell us the name of the podcast and sort of your motivation there. You may, you may have already alluded to it. Yeah, uh, that's great. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, so I have a podcast called The Creation Academy. Uh, just this morning, I recorded what will, when it airs, it'll be my 56th lesson. I've been doing it, um, I guess, since uh, August of last year. Um, actually, the beginning of August of last year. So we're about a, about a year in, and uh, I'm really excited about the progress it's making. And if you actually, uh, if you listen to the first few episodes of it, again, it's called The Creation Academy. Um, if you listen to the first few episodes of it, what you will hear is some terrible audio quality. So I feel like I should probably give that disclaimer. Uh, but you'll definitely get my motivation. I, I say in those very first few episodes why I'm a young earth creationist and why I do it. Uh, and the short version is this. And as I've already alluded to, um, there are, I would say, overarching, if we're speaking very generally, there are two uh, philosophies within young earth creationism. Uh, and some people practice both. Some are more on one side than the other. But there's kind of this uh, uh, it, this philosophy that hit, that young earth creationism has historically adopted uh, ever since its, its major uh, breakout into the marketplace um, in, in the 60s uh, with Dr. Henry Morris, which many in this debate would be familiar with the name immediately. Uh, and he was kind of the progenitor of this modern young age creationism creationist movement, and the um, kind of the standard uh, MO of the movement for a very long time has been to point out what's wrong with evolution. I mean, let's just be honest. That's that's what it's been, is well, this is wrong with evolution, and this is wrong with the age of the earth. And, and there are a few, I'll refrain from naming names out of the kindness to my brethren, but there are a few organizations today in 2018 who that is still what they talk about um and uh you know there's a phrase i i I don't know exactly how to how to say it but it's something to the effect of this it it does no good to take something away from somebody if you don't have something better to replace it with um 
And I don't know who you could attribute that to, but I think that that's applicable because for so long we focused on why some of these other views must not be true, but we haven't given them anything to replace it with other than really, well, God did it uh, kind of a thing. And so I consider myself to be on the other side of the camp. Now, there have been those for a while who... Um, practice this way, but it's really starting to make a shift. And I'm so excited about this because I, I would like to think that I'm a part of it, at least a small part. I'm trying to be a part that shifts the mindset of young earth creationism into a positive mindset. And, you know, not, not so much talking about what's wrong with everybody else, but why there's good reasons to believe in young earth creationism. Uh, and there are some scientists who work diligently with that goal in mind every day. And that's my motivation with the podcast. We don't spend a lot of time talking about why evolution's not right. We don't spend a lot of time uh, harping on Hugh Ross and reasons to believe. We don't even spend a lot of time harping on Tyler Vela. Uh, it's just not what we do around there. For the most part, we're largely talking. And every now and then, that kind of thing is going to come up inevitably. But for the most part, we're largely giving good reasons why one could believe in young earth creationism. And we do that using series and uh, we call each episode a lesson over there. So I really try to make it something uh, teachable. I try to teach theology in there anytime I get a chance. If there's something that we're observing that it might be a fact of creation, but it might point towards some uh, attribute of our awesome God. And so I want to bring that into play too. So I, I try to just... Uh, to be a teacher. I think that's what the Lord's called me to do. And so I'm privileged to do that week in and week out on there. That's great. Um, and so, okay, the, ne the next thing then, uh, can you, can you give us the, the, the connection? And I think this, I think a lot of people may be familiar with this. Um, give us the connection between uh, young earth, what is typically referred to as young earth creationism and the, the global flood. And so, yeah, we, sure. We, you and I both agree that a, that a real man named Noah, not metaphor, there was, was a human man named Noah who God called to build a big, big boat, and God used him to basically salvage the human race, um, yeah. to redeem the human race, and not redeem, eternally speaking, Jesus did that, of course. Sure, um, sure. But, but you know, God, God brings a flood and wipes out, kills every human being living on the planet Earth, um, and then there's this flood. So... Tell us how, what you think of the flood, what was the extent of the flood, and how that connects to this discussion. Yeah, sure. Well, this, so this is good because um, inevitably the, the global flood is a huge part of young earth creationism. That's, that is no doubt uh, what you've already said. Um, now, there's good reasons for that. Now, here's what is not the case. It's not the case that because we think there was a global flood, therefore the earth is young. Um, the problem is that we, th we think that the earth is young um, by indication of, of what the scripture tells us. In other words, I think there's a good, uh, and I was actually just listening to your interview, I hope I, I can say this, but I was listening to your interview that you had with, uh, with uh, Dr. Collins, and, uh, you know, I, it's uh, a real hard thing for me, as humble as I'm trying to be, to say that I disagree with a man of such stature, but um, I, I think that there's reasons to disagree that um, about the way that the genealogies in early Genesis and so forth are, are, are put forth. And so the short version is that I think, along with my uh, young age creationist brethren, that the Bible teaches that the earth is young. And the reason why that view has to have a global flood is because we have this interesting conundrum 
of fossils in the ground. We've got all of these fossils that are radiometrically uh, dating to thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, millions and even, uh, well, I mean, millions of years old as far as fossils are concerned. Um, and if you have a young earth, you don't have the time uh, that for those radiometric ages. You don't have the time for all those fossils to be buried in the ground. If you ha- if you have a young earth, you just don't you just don't have it. At least if you have an earth that most young earth creationists even on all spectrums would would put the earth somewhere between 6 and 10,000 years old, okay? So you can't get the fossils in the ground uh that we have on a young earth. Um, without some kind of major catastrophic event. So the question would then be, well, okay, we think the Bible teaches the earth is young. Now we've got these fossils in the ground. What can we find in the Bible that would give us a bunch of fossils in the ground for you know, uh, millions and millions of dead things that were once alive and now they're dead and they're, and they're buried? And so we think, oh, well, maybe Noah's flood gives us that. Um, and so that's been the speculation of creation science for a long time. And indeed, some of the first works of creation science at all to come out were about the flood. Uh, and as it turns out, there are certain conditions required for fossilization. And, you know, there, there's a whole lot we could go into there. But the point being is you can't have both. Um, if you've got an old earth, for example, and you're looking at the the ground that we have now, uh, you can have a, a young earth with a global flood, or you, I would argue this a little bit, you could potentially have an old earth with all of those fossils in the ground. But the one thing you can't have is both. Uh, because of the way that the layers are laid down, you can't have both. So that's why the flood is important on on this view, um, because it's the only way to explain the things that we find in the ground on a young Earth model. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So I mean, you know, the the the, the easy example that I think a lot of people sometimes point to and. The audience may or may not be familiar with this, but I think it's valuable to bring up is the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Um, you know, so the Colorado River is running through. I think it's the Colorado River. It is. Uh, is running through the Grand Canyon, and um, you know, and if if the if the river and that if that water is flowing uh, over the course of millions and millions of years, that begins to carve away the the clay and the dirt, and eventually it forms this massive canyon, little by little, you know, inch by inch, over the course of millions of years. Um, yeah. And it for or uh, or you have this, as you put it perfectly, catastrophic event where this massive, massive amount of water is now running off so so fast that it is it is causing uh, the, in the same way causing clay and you know layers of rock to wash away. But because of the sheer volume of water, it is it is rushing off so fast, so hard, so strong that it causes. That the 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 you know the the canyon to form extra much much faster and a yeah. lot of a, a lot of the young earth guys would say that the grand you know if you have enough water moving strong enough fast enough the the entire grand canyon could form in you know in in a matter of days or maybe even a matter of minutes or hours I mean it, you know depending depending on the the, the amount of water and the speed um, yeah and that, so, that's right and I would add something to that and I know we're kind of in overview mode right now I don't I don't necessarily right. want to get bogged down with the science right now but I would add to that that what a lot of people don't realize is that on the most current accepted young age creationist models we're talking about a lot more than just water uh, we're talking about um, the process of plate tectonics accelerating 
repeated literally millions of times. We're talking about intense volcanism. We're talking about uh, hot oceans spraying up geysers of steaming hot water going up into the atmosphere, cooling and falling as intense global rain. Um, we're not talking, you know, we, we, a lot of times when we think about a global flood, we immediately start to think of, you know, the little children's arc with, you know, with the little uh, giraffe head sticking out of it and the nice right. little, you know, rising tide water. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing. I just want to paint the picture for everybody. Uh, what we're talking about here is, like you said, a massive upheaval, a destruction of the earth. In fact, some young age creationists want to argue based on some um, some evidence that we have in our solar system that this was uh, a solar system or maybe even universe-wide judgment. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily hold to that myself, but this was, uh, uh, according to the current uh, creationist models and understanding of it, we're talking about something much more than even just rapidly moving water. We're talking about a violent destruction of this planet. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and you're, so I, I like the way you put it. You sort of, it's a, when we look at the geological record, uh, either these things were laid down over a long period of time and, you know, from a human perspective or these fossil records and these layers were laid down very quickly yeah. and quick, quickly being over the course of, you know, weeks and months. Um, yes. you know, but you, like you said, if, if, if that, if the picture you're painting is how it went down. You're right. It wasn't a it wasn't a pretty picture. It was yeah, violent might be an appropriate term. Yeah. Um, for it. So now I, I would argue uh, that the flood was violent every bit the way you put it. I, I just I'm not sure that the extent was global. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the extent would have to be enough to kill every single person. Now, I know there are some old earth creationists out there that would say, well, the, the, the flood was local, meaning it was only in one region of the world. And it only killed people in that part of the world and other people lived elsewhere and it didn't kill them. I think the scripture is very clear. And you and I would agree. Every person except Noah and his family died in the flood. Right. You know, we would. We would sure. I, I, and I, I think to disagree with that seems odd to me because I think the scripture is relatively clear on that. Um, but so I, I would argue that and, I'm, and I'm, I wouldn't even argue for this. I would just say if, if I had to pick a side right. that humans all lived in one region of the world and that the flood was expansive enough to kill everyone. So maybe, maybe the, what, what is, what is modern day Middle East, modern day Mediterranean region or Mesopotamian region or Northern Africa, you know, that region of the world was completely flooded, but not the entire globe necessarily. However, I would agree with you that that flood would have seemingly in that region still been pretty stinking violent. Right. <laughs> um, it, it, and, and would, it would have certainly impacted the, the, the geography uh, of that particular yeah. region. So we, we would have a lot of overlapping thoughts there for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and I guess, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I've got to let you lead the discussion here, but you know, uh, one of the things that, that I think might pose a, a problem for that, um, is, uh, you know, the, the statement that the Bible makes is I'm looking at it. All flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, all that was in the dry land. Uh, this is kind of one of those things where the whole narrative seems to be so, so far-reaching um, that it's, it's just just being honest. That's one of the difficult things for me is, you know, I mean, I realize there are times in Scripture where we're, we're looking at where it says all or every, and that's certainly not, the, not what it means to imply. Uh, but in this case, it's just the way that the narrative is put— um, 
that's one area that I find it difficult from a scriptural perspective. Now, there's others. Um, one of the other things I would say that, that causes me to pause when I'm thinking about a local flood theory is um, humans, we have human fossils that are pretty much distributed. What? Let, let me say this. What, what mainstream science would accept to be some version of human fossils um, scattered basically all throughout the old world. Um, I know many, uh, lo- I don't know where your position is uh, or what you would even consider, uh, but many who adamantly do argue for the local flood theory, I, I think, and I'm not the most well-versed on this, but I think the argument is something like a certain area of the Mesopotamian Valley or something like that that shows real good evidence for for um, for kind of a, a massive flood um, but I would say that the problem is that we find uh, fossils um, that are scattered throughout of what mainstream science would consider to be somewhat human um, that might would cause a problem uh, for the local flood theory um, especially well, I, yeah go ahead yeah well I, I guess I, I would say that they would say, well, if the flood took place not 4,000 years ago, but if the geologies are looser, and I think the Hebrew language might allow for that. Right. Um, if the flood was, let's say, 35,000 years ago or 50,000 years ago or 25,000 years, whatever the number is, let's say 35. That's a number that I've, I think I've, I've heard some guys I respect kind of kind of hold to. Sure. If it was 35,000 years ago, well, that's, that's more than enough time for Noah and his family to then begin to spread and migrate and populate the earth. Um, and most anthropologists, Christian and not would say by the time you get to, you know, 10,000, you know, if, if the flood was 35,000 years ago, it only take you about 25,000 years before you are widespread across the, you know, across the world where even North America is now being, you know, populated by those who crossed the Bering Strait, you know, over what is the modern day Russia into Alaska. So you're right. So there would be human fossils all over. They would all be less than 35,000 years old. Yeah, and I think the 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 problem what I'm referring to is we start to see the f- kind of fossils that I'm referring to even as far back as uh, starting two million years ago. Uh, in other words, this is now this plays into to, to evolutionary thinking. Okay, so let me go ahead and give that disclaimer. Um, there are um, how do how do I want to put this? I realize there are multiple views. There's a lot more to it in between what you and I are saying. I guess is what is what I want to point out. Right. 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 So there is there are views of old age creationism, which I would guess that if you were to affirm something, I would guess that you would affirm old age creationism that does not link modern humans um, directly to any previous evolutionary um, lineage. And so what, what it, and I don't necessarily want the conversation to go in this direction totally, but there are some things I think in general that when you start accepting old age theory that you kind of have some difficult things to navigate between which parts of it you accept and which parts you don't. And so maybe that would be one of the reasons why I'm, I'm hesitant to take that interpretation because if you, to say what you're saying, you would have to completely dislodge kind of the naturalistic evolution story from the discussion in order for it to work. And I think maybe there's other reasons why that might pose a problem. So yeah, just there's multiple layers to the discussion, but maybe that's what I love about, you know, the diversity of the body of Christ, that there's so many different uh, understandings. And I'm kind of like you, I do think that there are, there's a little bit of leeway. Um, I think you can make the argument maybe that some of the genealogies, 
even if you were to be generous, um, I don't think, based on what's in the genealogies themselves, I I don't think you can move much past 10,000 years for humans. And I think if that's what you do, then that's where the that's where the problem comes in. But I guess that, that it, you know, for why I would hold to a global flood, um, which I guess was your original question, is that. Um, I, I feel that if the Bible teaches a young earth, then I'm going to have to believe in a global flood uh, in order to move forward. And the question is, well, is there any evidence that will lead us to, to believe that? Um, right. So, yeah. Yes. So, I, you know, I, I would say, so then my next question is, and I, I'm going to make a statement you may disagree with. I, I don't know that there's any strong consensus amongst the scientific community that there's substantial evidence si- from a geological record standpoint. Sure. For for a global flood. Yeah, um, and there's uh, there's not. Now that's that's a very fair fair statement to make. Um, there the consensus uh, in science is certainly against the idea of. A global flood, um, and that's another one of those things that there's so many, so many layers in. Um, sure. Yeah. So, so this, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm skeptical of, uh, when we do, ta- when we do start talking about some of the old Earth uh, uh, affirming guys, is I think there's kind of like, well, on the one hand, um, we don't want to agree with the consensus because most old age creationists want to teach that that, that the consensus is violently wrong about the theory of evolution, which is 97% attested uh, among the scientific community. Um, but then when it comes to the age thing, we're kind of like, we, we, okay, we'll go along with the, the consensus. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm careful about that, not just because I want to be skeptical of the consensus, uh, just because I think that there might be good reasons that the consensus is wrong on, on both counts. Um, but again, I get that from Scripture. Um, I, I don't, I'm not going to purport to say that, you know, if I were looking at the evidence without a scriptural background, I don't necessarily know that I would, I would come to the conclusions of, uh, of the young earth creationist. Um, and I'm willing to admit that, uh, but a lot of it has to do with philosophy. And if I can just say this one thing, um, from the young age perspective, what we would kind of want to argue is that the idea of uniformitarianism, which is the idea that that processes that are happening the way they're happening now has, is the way they've always happened in the past. In other words, if we observe uh, radiometric decay and things of that nature, if we observe those things happening now, uh, then we can reasonably extrapolate all the way back into the past and say that they've been largely happening the same, with the exception of a couple catastrophic, you know, catastrophic events here and there. Um, and so that's kind of an underlying. Uh, philosophy that that that's not necessarily based on evidence. That's more of a philosophy um, of the way that the world has worked up to this point. And on that view, the conclusion is almost inescapable. There is certainly there is no global flood. There can't be on that view because there is absolutely zero evidence for it at the at those radiometric dates, like you mentioned. Um, right. It just doesn't exist. And so, what the young age creationists would want to say is, well, if the Bible does teach that we have this catastrophic event, and if it is global, then why don't we start by ruling out, you know, uh, that philosophy, per se, of, of, of uniformitarianism, yep. and why don't we say, well, well, maybe, maybe something different is, um, 
is a worthwhile explanation. And so the creationist at that point would want to say that present processes may be the way they are now, but they haven't always been that way in in the past. And there are some passages in Scripture that we could look at that, that maybe support that. Um, but that's what the young earth creationist would want to say in response to that. Yeah, that ma- that makes perfect sense. I think you said that you said that well, um, and and you're right. The the idea that there has been uniform processes all throughout is is the thing that we, you can say. Okay, do you question this? Um, and and I by the way, there is one particular old Earth model that sort of would agree with you, and that's John Sale John Sale Harmer's historical creationist view would would actually agree with some of those. And I, uh-huh. I covered that in a previous episode. Um, but yeah, I, I think you said that well. So I I think what you just you said a statement a moment ago that I think is the crux of this and would love to kind of hone in on this okay. for the rest of our time. And that's the idea that you said, if the Bible teaches a global flood, then we ought to embrace it and it's going to start. You didn't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what you said, of course. Um, and I agree with you a hundred percent. I have, you and I both would agree. We have a high view of scripture. We believe mm-hmm. the Bible is inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God, authoritative. It has the final say. So I guess the question I would have for you is, Point to us the scriptures that lead you to believe that the the, the flood was indeed not just a, a region of the world and not just you know a a large chunk of of the world, but was indeed global, meaning every piece of land on planet Earth was completely covered with water during this violent you know flood event. Yeah, sure. So so there are definitely a few a few of those passages. Um, so uh, the 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 first one, and let me actually, I don't have. There's one. I have a few things written down in front of me, but one I don't have written down. I want to make sure I say it. Um, so let me go ahead and say it now, even though it kind of comes later in my argument. But um, Genesis eight thirty three, uh, and I, I think this is almost the the real crux of the matter. Genesis eight thirty three. This is after the flood has has finished up. Um, and uh, Noah essentially is being told by God. This is the, the formation of, of the Noahic covenant. And from this point forward, and I find this interesting. From this point forward, the Bible says that the earth remains seed time and harvest. Everything, everything is going is to kind of work. Everything is going to kind of go, uh, you might say, like the present process. It's like the process of uniformitarianism. Um, there's a, also a verse, Jeremiah, oh, it's in chapter, I want to say it's in Jeremiah chapter 25. Sorry, I didn't have this uh, prepared. Uh, no but um, Dr. Hugh Ross, I've heard him, and I, and I respect Dr. Ross. I think he's a, a, a good guy who uh, is very intelligent and loves the Lord. Uh, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, but he mentions this this, uh, this scripture in Jeremiah and talks about how God has promised that the laws of physics would not have changed um, since the beginning of the creation. And I have to be honest with you, uh, Kenny, it's a bit of a head scratcher for me because I don't I don't see it. And I, I, I really think it's a Jeremiah chapter 25. Um that that you'll find that in the uh, later verses, um, and he talks about this, but I don't see that from from that verse, and so I, I got to thinking, well, if I don't see it there, what you know, what is he talking about? And then I noticed that it turns out that there's no promise from God that that the seasons and the times and everything is going to be consistent. At least it doesn't appear to be that we have that promise until right after the flood. Jeremiah or uh, in in Genesis eight thirty three, and so I'm thinking, well, you know, why would God be promising that the whole earth is going to now follow this orderly process if it's not a global flood? 
That's, that's one part of it. But the other part of it is that the main argument, uh, we talk about radiometric dating, look, there's a lot to it, right? There are uh, people, especially young earth creationists, want to harp on the assumptions that go into it, and you know, you don't know how much was there in the original, and, and I think there's some legitimacy to that, but I like to boil that down because it gets bogged down so quickly, and uh, there are good reasons to believe that the radiometric process is somewhat reliable as far as it goes, but I think it all comes down to what we're we're finding in in Genesis 8:33 I think that if God didn't promise that uh, the uniform, uh, to the extent of uniformitarianism, processes of nature weren't going to be in place until after the flood. I think we have room to infer there that some of the things that would have needed to happen for the radiometric decay process, etc., to be to be sped up, could have indeed happened during the flood. Um, at least that's the only thing that makes sense to me if God did not instate that until that point. Um, and so that, I didn't have that wrote down originally, but that's one thing I wanted to make note of. Um, uh, quick, yeah. quick, quick, quick item for that. I, I apologize to correct you. It's Genesis 8.22. I'm looking at oh, it. Oh, is it 8.22? I'm yeah, so yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. And so it just says, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day and night will not cease. Right. Uh, yeah, and it, so it says, as long as the earth remaineth. And so this this kind of tells me that uh, as, as far as the earth remaineth, after this, after this period of upheaval, now things are going to be fine. And so I kind of agree with the philosophy of uniformitarianism, um, at least until we go back in time to that moment when God is promising Noah that things are never going to change. Um, it looks to me, uh, the only thing that a young earth creationist needs is... is to have room for the the acceleration of certain decay processes and things like that uh, prior or, or during the flood year and perhaps some prior to that. And based on that one verse in Scripture, I think that's at least an inference that we can make. I, I'm not going to, you know, uh, hang my you know hat on it or die on that hill, whatever you want to say. Um, but I think that's a pretty reasonable thing. All right. Uh, all right. I, I, yeah. Not to push, not to push back a lot, but no, I'm going to give you. It. I want to just point out the Hebrew word there is yeah. Eretz. Yes. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. and, um, and in Hebrew, it's Eretz. I think it's pronou- I may be pronouncing it wrong or, or yeah. Eretz. Um, and so um, uh, it looks like it's used in the Old Testament 2,500 times. <laughs> yeah. um, wow. So it's, it's, not, it's not a misuse. And so um, mo- 1,500 times it's translated land, it, particularly in, when Joshua is leading the Israelites into the promised land. Um, that's the primary word used for when sure. we talk about the land of Canaan or the promised land. Yeah. It's the same word. It's the land of Canaan. It's the Eretz of Canaan. So it looks like in Genesis 8, God is saying, as long as the land endures. So that, that word, Eretz, it translates earth there. It, it, I mean, it's translated country as the, as, as the country 140 times, ground 98 times, wilderness one time. Um, it's tra- it's it's actually most of the time not translated as earth. Yeah, so it sure. It seems like it, in most cases that is not doesn't mean the whole earth. It means a particular chunk of land. That's what it typically means. Now, maybe it means the whole earth, but would you concede that 
maybe it means a particular maybe God is saying as long as this region remains, it's always going to. I mean, is that is that a potential understanding of that scripture as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I mean, I, I'm certainly no Hebrew scholar, so I mean, I think I would, out of integrity, I would be forced to admit that it's a possibility. Um, uh, and I, I, I am yeah. not either, by the way. I'm like a C plus. Yeah. Person, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I got you. I mean, I, I would, I would refer one, you know, to to to. Uh, uh, to say, to very loosely paraphrase something that William Lane Craig, I heard him say one time, you know, it doesn't, um, it doesn't matter how many times in scripture the word arm is used to designate an actual arm. If it says the arm of the Lord, it can't be talking about that because the context requires it to be, you know, an anthropomorphism. So, I mean, I would Correct. say that there is certainly some guidelines around, you know, how we, how much we, and some young earth creationists are guilty of this too. You know, you can't necessarily just say, well, it's used so many hundred times one way, so it's not right here. We have to look at the context and again you kind of have in that whole noahic covenant you've got the rainbow you've got all life you, you've got so many words that just seem to speak to something bigger um and so i I'd, in other words i don't know what the standard for falsifiability is at what you know how would he have worded it differently than it than it is uh and we're going to get to some of this because you asked for some more scriptures but I, you know my question to the old earth affirming creationists would how much differently would it have needed to be worded to get the point across now i do want to agree with you right that that certainly it's possible i mean out of integrity i would have to admit that at the same time it seems kind of strange to me that he would just be promising that day and night i mean these are universal things day and night and yeah, summer true. and hard, i mean it doesn't seem to me to be specific to a geographic area to me uh but hey uh, i could be wrong <laughs> yep. no, that makes sense yeah, I'm just curious how you would respond to that. So that, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, all right. So give so, us the other passages of scripture. Sure. So maybe a couple other things. Um, I, I started talking about this a little bit ago, but at the beginning of the flood narrative, uh, Genesis um, 7, 17 through 23. Um, now, again, this is kind of one of those things where... Uh, you know, you could use some of the words and say, well, elsewhere in scripture, they don't always mean this. Uh, but I just wonder if that's the most logical passage if you're not thinking in terms of modern science okay so let's put it sure. let's put it out that out there so let me yep. just read this passage i read from the king james version myself so, so here's here's how it is um the bible says there and the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth um the ark went upon the face of the waters and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered uh 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered and all flesh died that moved upon the earth both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man all in whose nostrils were the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died and every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven and they were destroyed from the earth and Noah only remained alive and they that were with him in the ark now I think you would want to say I totally agree but that doesn't mean it was worldwide and maybe that's Maybe that's so. Um, it just looks like maybe that wasn't the best way of communicating it if it wasn't meant to be all-encompassing. It's you know when you read it that way, it just seems to be talking about something, um, something global in scale. I mean, do you see where I'm? I mean, am I making any sense? To, to yeah, yeah, no, it makes. Per You're right. The, the natural reading of this, as a as a as a North American, you know, as an American right. <laughs> in the 21st century, when I read this in English, and I you know I read from you know the CSB or the ESV uh -huh. typically. But yeah, but what you're reading from King James is going to be, it's going to feel like, yeah. The, the, my natural contemporary reading of this makes me feel like, yeah, I, I would say this is the whole earth, this is the entire world. I think that's that does feel 
natural, so to speak. Yeah, right? and and you know, if I may, if I may press on a little bit into that, um, I, I think guys like Tyler and possibly even you, I don't, I don't know your views on this, but would want to say that maybe the Israelites held a little bit different. Uh, concept of, um, you know, the way the sky looked to them, etc. And I think even on that view, um, if it is talking about an actual flood and not not something that's just kind of a rehashing of a, of a Babylonian myth, uh, if we're talking about an actual flood, I'm not real sure um, how that gets accomplished on the, um, you know, on the view that the sky is solid and we it's only a local flood so where's where's the boundary for that I, I, there's things there that that don't make sense to me even on some of those more um i don't want to say liberal hopefully you know what i mean by that i mean liberal with the text you know to, to where it could mean something different other than just the modern you know reader looking back into it um i have trouble seeing where a local flood makes logical sense there i see where it could make sense uh, if we have to interpret the words a certain way, right? Um, but just looking at it, my general intuition is that this is talking about something on a on a greater scale. Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess. Uh, yeah, and I, I I hear what you're saying, and I think I think the, the I think the argument is is the idea that Moses is writing this, right? Moses, I, I believe it's Moses. Yeah, um, mm-hmm, I'm, sure. I, I hold to mosaic authorship for Genesis, sure. and um, and I and I believe. I believe I think that's important to note because I think there's guys that don't. Um, yeah, no, you're right. There's, there's a lot of guys right. that don't. And so, um, so Moses is writing this in Moses from Moses' perspective, and maybe even from Noah's perspective. You know, several, you know, many generations before Moses, sure. um, from Noah's perspective, and those who came after Noah, to whom this story was was told to, um, or you know, when Noah's children are recounting this this event to their children and grandchildren, um, they are. From their perspective, it certainly seemed global or completely worldwide right, in the sense right. that because so they would say it's everything on the earth because that's all they knew. They didn't know Australia existed. And so from their vantage point, this is true. And that's it's being written from a vantage point of someone who is living in this era who has limited knowledge. And I think there are other things in Scripture that seemingly that do the same thing, particularly in the Book of Job and other places. So yeah, I think that I think that's the response. Sure, and yeah, I, I get that. And, and one thing maybe I would push back there is to, and again, there's so many assumptions that goes into this, but uh, one thing I would push back there is if you look at the way, uh, you know, like Josephus and guys like that, uh, many Jewish uh, authorities seemed to. Um, to hold a younger earth interpretation. I think most people would agree with that. Um, and on, on this view on kind of the young earth view, uh, all of the continents before the flood were together, right? Like the, there was one landmass and then there was the ocean. That's that, that would have been the geographic configuration, um, prior to the flood. So when we think of like North America and Australia and this, that, and the other thing now we're, we're kind of reading modern sensibilities back into that if we don't take that into account. Um, so, you know, we're not talking, you know, a lot of skeptics make the argument, well, you know, how did the penguins get on the ark and the kangaroos and this, that, and the other thing? Um, you know, why would, why would God bring penguins to the ark and then ship them back to Antarctica when it's done? Um, these, these kind of criticisms are totally missing, missing the boat. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, because they don't take into account that this was all together. Now, one question I have is, okay, 
if we're talking about a local flood and all for some reason every animal um i think we would agree uh well i think we would agree right that most of of the land animals had a representative on the ark is that your view do you yeah any i would uh i think i would say i mean again i'm not 100 percent sure and i'm sure. not a scientist or anthropologist right. or, but uh, yeah any any animal the for the for the most part the animals we have alive today are animals that are descendant from the animals right. that would have been on the ark right oh okay right yeah exactly so so but 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 also you would say that you know the the bible um hints to the fact that all of the animals god the bible says god brought them to noah uh two by two seven of some he brought them right. in, brought them into the ark so one difficulty i have from a practical perspective is well if this thing is local why bring every animal like and, and I don't think necessarily the way that biblical creationists think, or not biblical, but um, just young age creationists would tend to think um, is that we are indeed derived from um, some sort of common ancestor. We would say that all dogs, for example, have a common ancestor, probably from right. a pair that was on the ark. Um, but that doesn't mean that all of them are, that the, the dogs are related to bananas, to be facetious, okay? So right. um, we would want to say that the original pair of dogs that we are descended from now were on the ark and it was probably some sort of a wolf-like creature well to, maybe on a on a local local flood view i'm a little confused as to why they couldn't just why god couldn't just tell some of those creatures to go somewhere else uh you know it's a big world uh you know why why does why do all of the creatures have to be there similarly if all the creatures indeed did have a representative on the ark which is kind of what it what it sounds like well we've got a problem because according to the fossil record um around the time that this would have had to happen even on our old earth creation um we got somewhere between you know five and this is a large gap but it's honestly their speculation somewhere between five and 50 million organisms that have already gone extinct by the time the flood happens um um about 250 species a thousand species uh, so it's kind of like well okay th this kind of means that all of the animals couldn't have been on there so again we have to say that all of the animals really only means some of the animals it just well, it gets a little convoluted for me well that well, and I guess the, the, the simple response, I think most people respond and say, that long before the, the humans were even on the planet, animals were living and dying and living and dying, and dinosaurs were living and dying, you know, lots of animals. And at, at the time of the flood, they had, they had, yeah, there's lots of fossil records because lots of animals had already died. Right. It, was, it was the animals that God wanted to save that God brought to the ark. Right. Therefore, therefore, of course, there's going to be fossil record because those animals had long lived millions and millions of years before adam ever showed up on the scene yeah exactly the question is where do you get from scripture that it just happens to be the ones that god wanted to save because he said every land animal kind of, you know what i'm saying so or every land oh, i was sorry i mean every land animal that was existent at that time right if they, had, right, if they yeah. were already if they were already extinct or uh, if they were already uh yeah if they had already gone uh, uh this uh, extinct at that point then yeah, they, but, they're, they're not right. Save, right. I agree, but then you still have the issue of well, why didn't they just go somewhere else if this thing's local? Like, I mean, because you've got them living all over the place now. Um, it seems like if God wanted to save, I mean, we, I, I certainly don't think we want to say that all, all kinds of animals were represented, were, were that that exist in the world, um, existed just in the Mesopotamian, you know, valley, for example. So, you know, why? In other words, on that view, you would have a difficulty of why bring you know let's just say let's be a little facetious but let you know why bring penguins from antarctica to the mesopotamian valley to get on there to be saved to 
you know what I mean, to go back to the Mesopotamian uh, Valley. Unless, again, unless unless the, the, the verbiage here... Is only talking back, about that area. Oh, right. If it's only... You know, right. Again, if, 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 Moses, if Moses doesn't know that there's anything outside of this... Then right, penguins live on out in Antarctica, right. and they they're never brought to the they're never on the ark. They don't need to be on the ark because Antarctica's already separated because it's been millions and millions of years of right. you know the of the of the you know yeah. Earth's plate uh, the plates moving around and yeah. right. So yeah, I mean, so may, may, I'll I'll, br- I'll bring someone on the podcast who knows way more than me to to answer those questions. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that's fine. Uh, and again, uh, this is uh, just friendly here. We're just going back and forth, yeah, yeah, you know. Right. Uh, but let me give you a couple. But that's a good. Yeah. Point. But that's but by the way. I mean, I, I think. I think the point you just make up is is a valuable, and it is the one of all the verses that I read. I go, okay, that that's the one to go. All right, that that there seems to be at minimum some logical deficiencies that need to be addressed if you're going to embrace an old earth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I've got, I've got a few more. Uh, you know, just, just quick things, scripture wise. Is that okay? Do we have just? A- uh, oh, absolutely. Go for okay. it. Okay. Yeah. So um so uh and I'm gonna through some of these quickly, but you can stop me if you want to. Uh, the Rainbow Covenant. Um, you know. <laughs> There's a certain sense in which you could say, well, maybe, you know, there's been a ton of times that local floods have happened. And certainly you could argue that they destroyed all the life in a certain geographic area. Um, and so why did, I mean, does that local flood violate God's promise? Uh, that's a, a, a question. Um, the covenant afterward that we talked about in Genesis 8 and 22 and in that in those verses uh, also seems to use that language of all life. Um, God is promising never to destroy all life again, you know, via this method of water. And certainly with the idea that, you know, there is going to be life that extends past that Mesopotamian Valley in the future. So I think that's at least something that's on the table is, is that rainbow covenant. Um, here's an interesting one, and I, I don't know. I don't know that I've heard kind of an old Earth rejoinder uh, to this, uh, unless they would argue that it's actually in this area. But um, so the Garden of Eden. Um, it, some people would say that maybe that didn't actually exist or, or whatever. Um, I happen to believe that the Garden of Eden is a real place, was a real place where Adam and Eve actually were. Um, that, I agree. Yeah, okay, so, that, so that's my view. Uh, the problem is that the description of the Garden of Eden has this uh, this river. Uh, it's got these four rivers that are flowing out of it uh, into, or this one river rather, that's flowing out of it into these four separate rivers. Um, and there's really, there's no place on earth that matches this, this description of of the place of the Garden of Eden, which um, I think, and I don't have this here, but I think there's good reason to think that it was in a, like a higher elevated place uh, because the rivers are flowing down from it. Um, it rivers flow downhill. Uh, so, it stands to reason that this was in a higher elevation. There's no place that you could point to today that it's like, that's where the Garden of Eden was. And so it right. suggests that maybe there was something that had to have happened to alter that topography. I, I don't think, and I don't know exactly where they put this thing and where they want to speculate, but I'm not so sure that the, your local flood is going to destroy that topography that's got and it's got one river flowing out into four different rivers. There's nothing well, like that on Earth today. Um, so again, well, I, I guess, I, yeah, I would, there actually is a spot in modern day, what is now modern day southeastern Arabia. And if there was a flood that was, I mean, when, I, when we say local, I'm not talking about a flood that floods a city, right? We're talking about a sure. flood that flooded that 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 would be that would be three times the size of the state of California. Right. Yes. I, I mean, I we're talking about. Are we talking about a mass a, a flood that would, would cover all of what is modern day Israel, Palestine, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Syria, parts of Armenia, you know, parts of what is modern day the Republic of Georgia, Eastern Turkey. Like we're talking about a, like like a flood that could be massive. That 
and and in its case would be violent and therefore could absolutely do what you just described. And by the way, I would agree with you. If someone says the flood is not to that scale, then I think the point you just made is right in that it, it wouldn't it wouldn't then alter the topography or geography of right. a region enough. So I think the point you're making is right. The the flood has to be significantly large enough and and violent enough to actually do exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and out of fairness, I'm not so well versed. I do know that there are multiple interpretations. Different people hold different versions of a local flood theory. Correct, but but I'm going to be honest, that's about the extent I know. I mean, I, I just, um, I, I told you in the introduction kind of area that I don't spend much time refuting other views, and that's true because I spend the most of my time giving what I think is solid evidence for the view that I hold uh, based by, on by scripture. By the way, I, yeah. I, appre I appreciate that, actually. Yeah, I, and I figured you would, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, I, I'm glad to hear that, but the, the consequences of that is that sometimes I'm not as well versed on these other views. So, right. I, so in and so I, I think can we I can just, both agree there. Yeah, yeah. Can I just pause and just tell you? By the way, I respect that a lot. I, I feel like I, I run into a lot of guys on either side of a variety of issues that don't want to admit that maybe they're not as well versed. And right. But I I, I just want you to know I I really do I respect that. I think your opinion. And and by the way, and I'm not I'm and I, I'm not attacking you. I just I'm I'm just giving you here. Here's all the likely rebuttals. yeah yeah no that's that's good no that's good i really like that i, I like uh get because i don't get challenged very much uh so i like i like to get a little bit of a challenge and maybe that's what i appreciate so much about tyler <laughs> he's willing to go in and challenge these long-held convictions uh so I like that. But I, I think, yeah, to what we were talking about there, you're, you know, you're going to have to for sure hold to one version of, of that flooding event. But then I guess based on different lines of evidence, um, you would have to determine to what scale that flood is, if there's evidence right. in, a, in a certain spot for it, um, et cetera. So um, – um, I would say maybe one one more thing then past that, um, and, and I would agree with you that if you do hold to a certain extent, surely you could accomplish that reconfiguration of the Garden of Eden, but um, you have to decide on the, an extent of the flood, and then there's factors in there. Um, so a another thing is I would say that there are some areas in Scripture that other people reference this event, and it's kind of juxtaposed against other um, events that will be seen worldwide. Now, again, you know, here's the thing. If you, if you're thinking in terms of the fact that all the humans were in one geographical location at one point in time, and now all the, all the humans are in, you know, various geographic locations that maybe the scale here just follows the humans. Um, but if that's the case, I just don't know how you can, you know, maybe somebody who's more well-versed in Hebrew than me could say, well, this is how we should have argued for for a worldwide flood, if that's in fact what it was, or a global flood, if that's in fact what it was. Uh, but point. so Jesus, for example, Matthew 37, uh, excuse me, Matthew 24, um, verses 37 through 39, talk about um, Jesus in the days of Noah. You know, that's, that's exactly how the coming of the Son of Man is going to be. Everybody is eating and drinking and... Uh, giving and marriage and um they didn't know uh, that the flood was going to come because they ignored it and went in one ear and out the other and lo and behold the flood came so shall the coming of the son of man be and so it, you know it's kind of well maybe he's talking about something that's worldwide because surely the coming of the son of man affects every person it affects the entire world and affects the whole creation um and also, maybe that is the same thing that's going on in Peter. So Second Peter three, um, three through seven, it also goes in there and juxtaposes this flood against uh, both the creation and the coming judgment, which certainly are 
you know, worldwide cosmic events. Um, so I guess for, for somebody to persuade me, they're going to have to show me a way that, that it could have been made more clear that what we're not talking about is the entire Earth. Um, and I just haven't, I haven't seen that yet, personally. Right. Um, yeah, so that, that from a scriptural perspective, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah, in, you, you're alluded to Second Peter 3, 6. It says, by water also the world that time was deluged and destroyed. Yeah. Uh, he uses the word, you know, world of that time, which which is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in Romans 1, which it's a different author, so I want to be careful that, that sure. you know— I, I was just talking to some of my students today here at Bethany Global University that you want to be sensitive to the authorship and how they use words. Yeah. Um, but, but just for argument's sake or just for, for conversation's sake, Paul says in Romans 1, he's speaking to the Romans and he's commending them for their faith. And he says, your wor- your faith has been promoted uh, to, you know, to the whole world. Well, ha- was it really to the whole world? I think he was referring to the, the known world that he knew about, which was the Roman world. Uh, I don't think the Native Americans in North America at the time – uh, we're, we're hearing about the faith of the Romans. Right, right. Uh, and it has right, to look at so, that passage, but yeah. Right, so, and, and then in the very next, in the same text, he talks about wanting to uh, go to Spain as sort of like, and he uses, he's talking about wanting to go to the whole, ro- the, the, you know, the, the whole, preach to everyone, even to go as far as Spain. So right. it almost seems like he's, the context is he's writing from, you know, he's writing from eastern part of the Roman Empire to the Romans, talking about going to the utter parts, which is Spain. And, and, and in his mind, that's the whole world. It, it seems like there's a potential for the New Testament authors to kind of have a framework for using the word world or whole world to yeah. really talk about their world. Yeah, I, and, I, I get that. But, at the, you know, at the same time, and again, maybe, uh, you know, some of the practical stuff maybe is what bites me in, in, in the rear here. Uh, but I'm just like, it's not like the guys who lived in Spain walked into a wall and that's the end of the world the people who live in Spain realizes there's world past Spain. And as you keep walking 10 feet past Spain, there's world past Spain. And you finally get to the ocean. Sure. But then there was those who sailed in the ocean. So, um, you know, I think at a certain point, um, it's hard to argue. I think it's hard to argue that, that, Everybody back then in that day just thought that the world ended at a certain point because they could just keep on walking, um, and so that maybe that maybe that's part of the problem. Part of the part of the different presupposition that goes into that is I, I don't think I'm willing to admit that everybody just thought the world ended somewhere because nobody walked into the end of it. Um, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess I, I, I guess does that make fault, sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. You're right. But the Aboriginal people living in Australia uh, in in you know in the first century. Did they hear about the Romans' faith? I, I don't think so. I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe maybe there was a way, and I'm just completely crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to argue uh, a point on that one way or the other right. because I don't know. I haven't thought about it. Right. So I, I, mean, I just try to think logically. I don't I don't think I don't think the Apostle Paul is making the point that the entire absolutely the entire world. No, 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 but, no. You know, um, and I, I totally agree. And I mean, don't don't we speak this way? I mean, all the time we we speak right, in in right. hyperbole. We say things like like, oh man, everybody knew that. Well, no, everybody didn't know that. You know, my my people in my family didn't know that. You know, oh, everybody knows this. I mean, we speak in that kind of language all the time. Um, I think there's a tendency, and and, I, and this is not an indictment against you, okay? But I I want to this, this is a broad point because I don't spend a lot of time harping on other views. I think this is a fair point to make. I think there's a tendency to press um, the biblical writers to some level of ignorance that I don't necessarily think they had to have. Um, I I think that, I mean, we've got, I can't stand when evolutionists tell me that 
everybody in the beginning, you know, the, the, this evolutionary progression, you know, in the beginning were the brutes. I just don't believe it. We have examples of archaeoastronomy going back centuries and centuries and centuries. We have got some, even the ancient Sumerians, them guys, they were smart all the way back in them days. We don't, right. we don't give people a lot of credit. The great, look at the Great Pyramid sometime and the way that it is tuned uh, to, to some of the measurements of the earth. I mean, these people knew what was up. Um, and so I I agree with you. No, of course. Uh, the Apostle Paul, I don't think, was telling the Romans that, that that in Australia they knew about him. But I think we need to allow for the fact that sometimes they spoke like we did. Um, and yeah, sure, maybe it got recorded like us. But that doesn't mean that every time it said that. you know. So I think if we look at one passage of Scripture where it's like, okay, well, we're talking about some other events that are definitely going to be worldwide. I mean, the, the creation was worldwide. The judgment that's coming is going to be worldwide. And we find the flood nestled right in between them in these passages in Peter. Um, so I think it's reasonable, at least reasonable, to think that maybe he's talking about something different than Paul is when he says everybody, you know, everybody knows about you guys. Well, I, you know, I mean, um, I told uh, my Facebook followers that um, that I was requesting prayer because I was going to be on a pretty popular, pretty well-known uh, uh, theology podcast tonight, and I was excited about it, and I wanted prayer. Um, but me saying that it was pretty well-known and pretty popular doesn't mean that yeah, I mean, I mean, nobody might know about you past, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how many listeners you have, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I mean, the President Trump has no idea who you are likely. So, um, and nor does he know who I am. Oh, uh, come on, man. He yeah. listens to me every night. <laughs> That'd be good, wouldn't it? He could probably he would probably learn something, wouldn't he? Uh, anyway, I won't go there. But uh, yeah, so the point I think we want to make, but uh, I think what we want to say, what I want to say, is I think we should allow for a little bit more of a natural um, kind of language to be used, even back then. And I realized that that Paul had limitations to what to you know what he thought that the world was extended to, but at the same time, the people who lived in in Spain could walk ten feet. 10 feet past Spain. That's the point I want to make. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's the language fair. allows for it. I, I think that's uh, I think that's a really fair point. Um, yeah. I mean, and again, it, my, my goal is not to, uh, I, I, I want to, Hey, here are the contentions. Yeah. Give, give, give us your defenses of this. And you've done a, I think you've done a good job of defending your thoughts. So, um, Steve, man, uh, are there any other verses? Are you is that, is that the whole list you covered there? Yeah, that, I mean, that I'm sure there are others, but that's the main ones that, that I wanted to point out. That I I think we can kind of infer from those. And again, the, I don't want the the uh, the Genesis eight twenty two thing to go unnoticed. Of course, it it like all the other ones falls subject to the fact of you know you have to figure out what the word world there means. Um, but you know, uh, I think that's an important one because if that verse holds true, then there's certainly plausibility for the young age view that processes and rates were different before that point. And if we can allow that, um, then we, um, how do I want to say this? We deserve a seat at the table. Let's put it like that. Um, uh, yeah. And I think that's all I want to pine for. I don't, I don't want to bash anybody over the head with, with my convictions. Uh, when we get to heaven, man, and, and I get, I get to meet my Lord, uh, after a few, uh, I know there's no time in heaven or whatever, but after a few million years, if you'll let me use that, uh, I want him to sit down with me personally and tell me everything I was wrong about and how much of a knucklehead I was, uh, <laughs> for believing it. I, I hope that happens. Uh, but you hey, know, uh, I just want a seat at the table. That's, that's what I'm pining for. Well, you Steve, you always got to see if, if I'm deciding who's sitting at the table, you got to seat there, brother. Thank you, brother. I, I appreciate that. Hey, and I hate we didn't get to talk much about the actual scientific evidence. Believe it or not, there's a ton of that too. Uh, but we oh. might have to postpone that for a different discussion. <laughs> 
I, I really appreciate Steve. Uh, t- tell tell us again how people can get a hold of your work. Yeah, absolutely. So if you just go to steveshram.com and, and maybe so you can uh, avoid the pain of, of, of uh, the listeners having to spell that, you might put a link in your show notes or something to that. But just steveshram.com and you can find everything there. Uh, real quick, generally what we do is a blog post once a week. Um, we put out some videos, some YouTube videos every now and then. Those also get posted on the website. Got an email course on there. You can sign up for it to, to get on that. Uh, and then, of course, you can access the podcast there. And, and the podcast, it has been a weekly podcast at this point, but now we're doing it kind of in series. So I just recorded my episode for the 6th, um, and I'll actually be taking the next couple weeks off to prepare for the next series. It would be a good time to start listening. Uh, if I may plug this one thing. Um, yeah. It will be a good time to start listening because the next series that I'm going to do is um, a series about the 2018 International Conference on Creationism that just ended this past July. And they only have one every four years. And it, it, it basically, it's a place for um, legitimate creation scientists to gather. They present papers and they present their latest research. And so we're going to do a series upcoming on that that is going to really give some of the current thought in a variety of areas on young age creationist research. So that might be something uh, that folks are interested in. So you can learn more there. That's fantastic. And we will have all those things linked up in the show notes for sure. Steve Shram, thank you so much, man, for taking time out. I, I you, you, you came into the into hostile territory and you held your own, brother. <laughs> man, I, I appreciate that. I was a little nervous. I didn't know what to think. So, uh, but hey, I appreciate your graciousness. I appreciate your ministry. I told you offline that uh, I first found you when you were interviewed on another podcast that I listened to. Uh, uh, with uh, uh, so when when you reached out to me, I already knew your name, and I thought, man, this is this is going to be cool. But I don't know what I'm walking into over there. So. <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Hey, you take care. And there you have it. My interview with Steve Schramm. I felt like he really, really did a great job of defending his positions from the scriptures. Um, And as he mentioned toward the end of that interview, um, we didn't get a chance to really go into more of the scientific elements as much as maybe we had hoped. We, uh, We ran out of time. Uh, maybe at some point in the future, I'll have him come back. But if you're really interested in learning more about that specifically, uh, immediately I'd encourage you to go to his website, check it out. Uh, you can go to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com, look at the show notes for this episode, uh, episode 263, and I'll have it linked up there. So uh, the websites that he contributes to and he's blogging at his podcast, all that stuff, we'll have that linked up in the show notes at theologyfortherestofus.com, and that'll take you right over to Steve's sites. Uh, overall, uh, I, I wanted everyone to be aware of the different positions. That's why I've been doing these different episodes uh, throughout the course of the last few uh, months. Um, and, and in essence, as I've mentioned multiple times, I don't feel the need to demand that Christians have to believe one particular position. I think there are various positions that evangelicals could hold to. I think it's okay for us to have strong opinions, to be resolute, to have convictions, uh, to, to fiercely defend the things we hold to. Um, but I also think we want to be be, be gracious toward one another, be okay to allow us to disagree on these sorts of things and not be overly dogmatic or unnecessarily fundamentalistic uh, about these particular things because there are various opinions and various interpretations that are espoused and promoted by evangelicals. I would encourage you to do your own research, 
do your own study and determine for yourself what you believe the scripture is saying. Do your best to be faithful to the scriptures uh, and, and, and remain faithful to the text as you see it and as you feel the Holy Spirit is leading you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the podcast. Sure hope it was helpful and insightful. If you have a question or a topic that you want me to address on a future episode of the podcast, feel free to shoot me an email. I've got an inbox packed with lots of questions. And throughout 2019, I'm going to be going through a lot of those. Most of 2019 is going to be spent going through questions that listeners have sent. So if you have a question you want me to address, feel free to email me. I'd love to hear from you. My email address is Hey Ortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H E Y O R T I Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Or you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. That's K E N N E T H O R T I Z. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this is Theology for the Rest of Us.